Dusty, have you ever gone on a hunting trip? Well, yeah. You pack all your stuff. Let's say you're driving to New Hampshire. Let's say I'm driving to Ohio, and you're hunting for four, five, six days. What's the biggest challenge you usually have? You're going to stop multiple times and get gas, and I, I worry about odor the whole way. It's always in the back of your head. After talking to our friend Tim Gothier, we realized that there's a better solution that is portable, and that solution is called the Scentlock Enforcer. This nifty little device about the size of an iPhone, it produces ozone. Ozone is this naturally occurring O3 molecule that actually naturally removes odors, kills bacteria, binds to all kinds of odor particles in the air, and basically makes you scent-free instead of like a scent cover-up. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. You can put this in your toe. It operates off of a USB and has an eight-hour battery life. It's the personal ozone generator. It is the personal ozone generator. If you want to check it out, go to scentlockenforcer.com. That's S-C-E-N-T-L-O-K enforcer.com. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, powered by Scentlock Enforcer, episode number 181. Stephen Paff, Pennsylvania bow hunting, white oak stand setups, farm crops, and deer herds. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's show is sponsored by the Scentlock Enforcer and Morse's Sporting Goods. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. This is Craig Miller from Plano Synergy, and you're about to push play on my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry, your hunting podcast. Hi, I'm Dustin Kaismore from Kaismore's Back to Nature Taxidermy in Ohio, and I am about to push play on my favorite podcast, and it should be yours too, the Big Buck Registry, Big Buck Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Jorgensen from Ruger. You're about to listen to my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry, Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. My name is Jay, and as I say each and every week, thank you for tuning in to the Big Buck Registry and listening to all the great information that we bring you about world-class deer hunters from across the country that like to share their knowledge about how they do it so you can do it too. And as always, tuning in and participating in this conversation, as he always does, my good friend from Ohio and our co-host, Dusty Phillips. How are you, Dusty? Oh, doing great, Jay. Doing great. Glad to be here. Hope everybody that's joining us is having a good new year. And I tell you what, uh, start mine off with a new black English lab puppy. It's been interesting. That's very cool. Are you going to do some shed hunting? Uh, that's the that's the whole intention of uh, getting a, a lab puppy to, to train her and uh, going to go with the Jeremy Moore dog bone shed antler system and, and nice. try it out see what i come up with nice yeah that's it's that time of year where the the deer seasons are kind of ending across the uh, the country i think january is kind of the last month um some some in a bit into february then everybody kind of transitions over to shed hunting for the most part and uh, if you want to go back 
and listen to our Jeremy Moore interview that we did with Dogbone. That's a great, this is a great time of year to start that. So I've actually been listening to that and our two coyote hunting podcast that we did with uh, Al Morris at Fox Pro and actually got the Fox Pro out the other day and went around in the, the nighttime and actually located some dogs. It was pretty neat. Yeah, the Fox Pro is a, a great utensil to have in your arson for, for critter hunting, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the shed dogs, uh, it's been interesting. Uh, you know, Obviously, her being 10 weeks old right now and January coming in and February, March into the shed season, I, you know, she may... She may get out in the woods some, but uh, I don't think I'll push her real hard to get out in the woods with me. I'd definitely take her, but uh, yeah, that six month to a year times really I'm going to focus on getting her, getting the shed hunting embedded into her. Then I think by next year's shed season she'll be uh, she'll be ready. She'll be ready to roll. Very cool. Very very cool. We do have several harnesses that have come in over the last couple weeks during the the, the holiday season. Uh, I think we have about six or so harnesses. I think there are a few more on the way. So our supply has ramped up. We're fully stocked. So if you need a harness because you don't have one, a safety harness, we have some to give away. So if you'd like to reach out to either me, Jay at bigbuckregistry.com or Dusty, Dusty at bigbuckregistry.com or Jim at Jim at bigbuckregistry.com and just let us know if you need a harness. We're happy to send some out. Uh, free of charge. We just want people to be safe out there. And it's part of our harness program that we kind of uh, unintentionally started, but we basically had some harnesses left over in our, our basements and our garages from the, the harnesses that come with the stands these days. We all have our own harnesses that we bought separately. So all these other ones that are coming with the stands are just hanging out. So we figured we'd get them back out into the field to people that need them. So let us know. Let us know if you need some. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great uh, a great thing that uh, we can offer up. And, and, you know, maybe it'll save somebody's life out in the woods while they're enjoying their hunt. And, you know, safety first, as always. Yep. That's something that uh, we need to focus on more than we do. And, you know, I'm guilty of it, and I'm sure every other hunter out there is guilty of it. But mm-hmm. looking back, I wish I'd never climbed in a stand without some kind of safety device. And Right. You know, but uh, nowadays it's uh, kind of like a, just a ritual to put it on and, and go hunting. But uh, if we can help somebody out by sending out stand minutes, it's awesome, Jay. And it, it's uh, great to do that. Yep. So lots of harnesses ready to go. If you need one, Jay or Dusty or Jim at BigBuckRegistry.com, just let us know. Hey, you know something I got today, Jay? What'd you get? I, I got a, uh advanced uh, tree stand to hang on an I-2 in the mail today. So we're going to do a little review on that here in the near future. Very cool. Uh, this was introduced to us uh, through uh, Taylor Hans and, and Crystal Mahoney. Of course, we saw that video, which prompted us to have them on our show and we have been talking to advanced takedown tree stands since then and we're going to uh, see what they're all about we're actually getting them into our own hands so stay tuned for our full review on that product we will be doing some videos on it but uh it's always good to get that product in and give it a give it a fair review on what it's really all about so yeah i'm pretty excited to, to i haven't got mine yet but i'm pretty excited to take a look at that stuff yeah, I think that uh, once we're able to get it out in the woods and, and hang it and build us to have it in our hands and just, just talk about it a little bit, and maybe we can turn you on to your next hang-on stand from Advanced Takedown Tree Stands. Right, right. Well, we'll see how it goes, but I'm, uh, I think it has potential. Let's put it that way. Our, our guest this week is a fellow out of Pennsylvania. His name's Stephen Paff, and Steve sent in one of his 
pictures of one of the bucks he shot over this past season. It's a bow kill and very impressive deer. And you could kind of get the sense that he knew what he was doing. And we get to learn a lot about how he goes about his business. Uh, He has a family farm that he's been hunting for years. The farm's been in the family for over 100 years. And there's been this long tradition of crop rotation, managing the farm, actually making money doing hay, kind of like what you do, Dusty, and also hunting the farm and managing the deer herd in the area in conjunction with other farms in the area. Now, it's all public land. You can hunt it. It's not posted. So it's kind of interesting how they go about this like team effort, kind of like a QDMA thing, I think. And it's the communication is basically done by texting and seeing people down at the bar and you know talking by phone on occasion, no formal meetings, but they've been able to put together a pretty good management system. And they've learned a lot about where deer travel across all those farms down there in Pennsylvania. So before we turn to Stephen Paff, let's turn to Jim Keller with the Deer News. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story this week, harvest numbers up significantly in Vermont deer hunts. This story was originally featured on the OutdoorNews.com website. The Vermont Fish and Wildlife Department says preliminary numbers show 16,160 deer were taken during Vermont's 2016 deer hunting seasons. Reports from the big game check stations indicate hunters had successful deer seasons in 2016, taking 3,447 deer in archery season, 1,438 deer in youth season, 7,725 deer in rifle season, and 3,500 deer in muzzleloading season. The 16,160 deer brought home by hunters yielded more than 3 million meals of local venison. The legal buck harvest of 9,968 was 19% more than the previous three-year average of 8,372, and the highest buck harvest since 2002, said the deer project leader Nick Fortin. Harvest numbers increased during all four seasons, and the total harvest of 16,160 is the second highest since 2002. The increased harvest was primarily due to the exceptionally mild winter of 2016, which allowed more deer to survive. Additionally, the department issued nearly twice as many muzzleloader antlerness deer permits this year to provide some harvest opportunity and to limit population growth in some parts of the state. The 2016 report with final numbers will be on the Vermont Fish and Wildlife's website in early February. Staten Island deer vasectomies continuing through March. This story was featured on the SILive.com website and was written by Anna Sanders. The buck snipping won't stop anytime soon on Staten Island. The city is expected to perform vasectomies on burrowed deer until the end of March. So far, 540 bucks have gotten vasectomies through the city's plan to cut down Staten Island's white-tailed deer herd. That's already more than the 527 male and female deer the city counted during the most recent aerial survey of the herd last year. The city said the plan was always for Parks Department contractor White Buffalo to continue into early spring and handle as high a percentage of the male population as possible. Anthony Di Nicola and his team at the Wildlife Conservation Nonprofit will work every day this winter unless it's too windy or wet. Those conditions are expected to impact field activities more than simply cold or snowy weather. Like other breeding periods, the white-tailed deer mating season is driven by day length. Testosterone in male deer is what powers running behavior, and that typically begins to increase in late October before waning by mid-January. 
The city said the end of the rut won't have much of an effect on the vasectomy effort. The only impact is likely to be that burrow bucks move around Staten Island less, which actually makes it easier to see patterns and target any mule deers without vasectomies. The city wanted to perform the surgery on as many bucks before the end of the rut, so fewer fawns were born this spring. White Buffalo is being paid $2 million this year for the work. The contract is for up to $3.3 million over a three-year research study. After White Buffalo stops performing vasectomies at the end of March, they plan to start up again in August. The vasectomy plan is expected to eventually reduce the burrow herd 10 to 30 percent. For the plan to work, at least 90 percent of the male deer on Staten Island have to have vasectomies. Use natural biodiversity to fight Lyme disease. This story was originally featured in the Times Tribune website and was reported by Tom Horton. Cases of Lyme disease have tripled in the last 25 years and it's becoming the most common tick-borne malady. The Northeast is the epicenter. First, it was a white-tailed deer. Their numbers had exploded as Lyme disease had burgeoned, and they carried vast numbers of black-legged ticks, misidentified as deer ticks. But years of study couldn't reliably correlate deer numbers and Lyme disease. Indeed, only a tiny fraction of the ticks on the deer became infected with the bacterium that causes Lyme. Then it was the white-footed mouse. Widespread in the environment, they appear the perfect source. Chipmunks and shrews also contribute significantly. Also clear is that forests fragmented and otherwise disrupted by humans clearly favor those mammals that are better Lyme disease transmitters. Just as significant is how many other species are around that attract a lot of ticks but eat them or just don't infect them like the mice do. Possums, for example, turn out to be the veritable ecological traps for the black-legged tick, consuming thousands of them a week, passing on extremely few that might ever infect a human. The bottom line is that a diverse woodland community of animals contains many such traps for the ticks that otherwise might bite a mouse or chipmunk and become likely transmitters of Lyme. The ecological approach to human health, like the diplomatic approach to peace, can be annoyingly slow and dizzyingly complicated, but the link is becoming clear and making it may be the best hope for a sustainable world. Late season buck could take down 73-year-old firearm record in Louisiana. This story was originally featured on the OutdoorHub.com website. The last buck to top the record books in Louisiana was in 1943, but its reign at the top for a typical buck killed with a firearm might be over. Charlie Lusco's giant 11-pointer, which he shot on December 1st on Diamond Island, has not been officially scored yet, but initial scoring put the deer between 184 to 188 inches. Don Broadway and his 168 and 6 eighths buck have been the holders of Louisiana's buck title for over 70 years. While the record is great, there's no doubt Charlie would love nothing more than to see his name at the top of that list. That's every hunter's dream. Of course, behind every great trophy buck is a great story to be told. If you believe it, Charlie had no intention of shooting this big bruiser that day. Instead, he was busy putting up 20 trail cameras and just hoping to find the big buck again. It had not been seen in two weeks. After Charlie got all his trail cameras hung up, he jumped in his nearest stand around 4 o'clock p.m. Maybe I'm the only one that finds this humor in this, but wouldn't you know it, the afternoon he goes out and hangs all those trail cameras is the same afternoon he gets a crack at that deer. After a late start having much hope and not having much hope for any action, Charlie watched the buck casually step out at 200 yards. Charlie was so surprised he had to glass the buck a few times to make sure he wasn't seeing things. Once Charlie made the shot, he decided to give the deer some time. He backed out and returned later with a group of friends where they retrieved the buck after a short search. Oh God, it was like a big party in the woods, Lusko said. Everybody was high-fiving and slamming knuckles. Charlie is planning on getting a full body mount of the giant buck, so everyone who helped get this deer can enjoy it as well. Even though the rut has slowed down and the temperatures have dropped to well below zero, this story goes to show that you could still be spending time out on the stand. There's still some great hunting to be done in December. (laughs) 
That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here's Stephen Path. Steve Path, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me on your show. Dude, I'm psyched to have you. You know, We have this Facebook page for a reason, and it's to attract the brightest and best deer hunters in America. And son of gun, now and then, a, an incredible deer shows up on the page and sent in like or from hunters like you. And you sent in one heck of a great deer this year, and uh, I'm going to try to dissect the, how you went about that see if we can add it to uh, anybody that's listening to the show can kind of figure out how to do kind of what you did even though we both know that there's an element of luck that's still involved no matter how good a hunter you are so steve tell me where you're from uh, i'm from a small town called greenville in pennsylvania uh, it's located in mercer county we're in northwest mercer county okay. um so we're, we're, we're kind of border the Ohio line, but uh, yeah, we're northwest Mercer, Mercer County. Okay. All right. And did you grow up there? Yeah, I grew up here. We actually have a family farm here, and we own uh, 405 acres. Uh, we farm. Uh, we have beef cattle and, and pigs and, and stuff like that, and uh, it's, we've had it for 100 years now, and uh, it's a, a great family tradition we have here. 100 years. Oh, no kidding. So did you... So a hundred years have gone by, and do you come from a long tradition of farmers? But do you come from a, a long tradition line of hunters as well in your family? Yeah, actually, I do. Uh, uh, I, I I grew up. My grandpa, he was the first one who taught me how to hunt. He he passed a few years ago, but uh, my dad. Uh, uh, ever since I was little, I remember going, you know, hunting with him when I was five, six years old. Always watching them hunting and trying to learn from them and. Uh, um, they always get we're into rifle hunting, and I kind of branched out in archery. But uh, they're the ones who taught me, uh, you know, how to hunt, what to look for, and uh, you know what different places on our on our uh, property, you know, were the best place for for deer during different times of the year with with crops and stuff. So, um, but yeah, they they they've all taught me throughout the years how to hunt, especially a lot of uh, good close friends as well. Gotcha. Did you ever, were you ever told any good deer stories growing up about how great uncle so-and-so shot the biggest buck on the farm that anybody's ever seen? Oh yeah. I, 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 there's, there's a million stories out there over the years since we've been in the property about uh, uh, family members getting the biggest buck and how it all went down and, uh, you know, what they used and, and, uh, you know, how fast it was running or if it, you know, it was during archery season, um, but uh, yeah, there's all kinds of stories uh, that we could get into with uh, the our families uh, hunting. What's your favorite story that you remember from your family? Um, actually, my, my favorite story uh, was actually my uh, my dad uh, and uh, his uh, good friend Walter Johnson. Uh, he actually passed away uh, a few years ago from a brain tumor. We've always been good friends with them. Well, they were out hunting and a and a buck ran past, and it was a big buck. And um, my uh, uncle Wally he shot the buck and. Uh, they went down to see the buck and, uh, uh, the neighbor, they were all standing there like, Oh, where, where'd you hit it? And, uh, it turned out he hit him low, uh, right in his private area. And he died because of that shot. And uh, to be honest, I've never heard anything like that happen. And it ended up being a big eight point. He hit it low and somehow killed it. Uh, huh. and that's probably my uh, favorite story about the farm. Oh, wow. Um, no kidding. So yeah. Me- I, I mean, once in a million shots. 
Tell me more about the farm. What's it like? Um, the farm, uh, we, uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, uh, beef cattle, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, we've always had beef cattle. We sell a lot of hay, uh, a lot of, uh, corn, um, and, uh, we do, uh, non-GOP corn, uh, to feed our cattle. And we actually feed cattle out throughout the year, um, and sell them from our farm. I actually, then I kind of branched out and, uh, we got, uh, into some, uh, pigs and I actually have, uh, sows now that I, I, uh, uh, sell pigs, uh, show piglets for 4-H members and et cetera. And, uh, um, we, uh, we primarily grow, uh, hay, like tree foil, alfalfa, clover, um, on, on our hay fields, uh, also Timothy. And then we do a lot of corn and oats as well. Um, and those are all strategies to hunting, you know, where we, you know, crop rotation is huge to get your best production of crops. And, uh, so that's a little bit about our farm. Um, we, uh, we actually just got our barn re- rebuilt. It, it's an old style barn. Um, we, uh, uh, put, you know, metal siding on it and stuff and have a sign. And, um, but, uh, it's a family farm that we've had in our, in our, in our family for years now. And, uh, that's a little bit about the farm and what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, uh, try to stick to, you know, non GOP corn and, uh, but, um, yeah, fish cattle out and pigs. And, uh, that's, uh, pretty much what we do here. Gotcha. So you have you have crop rotation. You have crops that you plant. Yeah. And do you use that strategy to aid you in some of the the deer hunting that you do? Yeah. Well, to be honest, crop rotation is huge. And in order to uh, for your land, you know, to get mass production and what you want off your land, um, you've got to be able to rotate your crops. So most times, what we do here is we'll put you know corn on, let's say, a ten acre field. Uh, for two years, uh, and then we'll rotate that into oats uh, and seed it with hay underneath the oats. Okay. And that ends up, you end up getting more nutrients that way um, because you're, what the corn takes out, the hay and the oats put back in. Uh, and then, you know, you, we, we put lime on our fields as well okay. uh, to get that hay, an extra uh, spur to come up through. And it just adds more protein, more greens. And uh, if you have good crop rotation, you just better crops in general. Gotcha. So you do two years of corn, then you go to oats. How long? How many years of oats? Usually just a year. Uh, year. The next year, yeah. Then grass or or hay uh, the year after that. Yeah, yeah. It you know it depends um, what type of hay because there's all the time types of different branches of grass seed you can get into with um, you know alfalfa, timothy, trefoil, and and clover. Um, so that's just pretty much on preference and and on what one is wanting to do with their property. Gotcha. And and that is to keep the soil up and running. Is there a strategy as 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 to where you're going to hunt based off of what you've planted as well? Yeah, and actually, um, you know, it all kinds of run, it runs all into together. You know, if if I'm going to hunt, you know, a later season, you um, usually want to go to corn because once the snow starts falling or it gets colder, the grass doesn't grow as much. So you know, I kind of move over to where the corn's at, or you know, if it's early season. You know, the grass is still going good, growing good. You know, deer love clover, red clover especially, and even tree foil. And I'll hunt those stands early season. So it, it does kind of all come into play with, you know, when you farm, what you plant, and where you're going to hunt during different times of the year. Gotcha. All right. So you're, you're checking out the different phases of the season. You're looking at early season, mid-season, late season, and you're, you're basing a lot of your hunting strategies around where certain crops would be located in specific to what that, that, uh, what the deer want on their, in their diet at that time of year. Yeah. And it, yeah. And especially with the weather, you know, once you have a, a, a frost, 
you know, your grass isn't going to grow as good. Right. So you can still hunt, you can still hunt that. And, you know, I also hunt crab apples too, because we, I, I planted some crab apple trees, but that, you know, if you have a good crop of crab apples, that's good for early season. But once that frost comes on, that's over. But that depends on the year too. If, you know, if they, if it bloomed early in the spring and it frosts too early, well, those crab apples, they're not going to grow, uh, uh, right for the fall. You won't have a good enough crop. So that depends too. And then also, you know, your, your acorns, uh, to, you know, if you got to watch where uh, your trees are then, um, to see, you know, cause you know, bucks and, and doe, they all love, uh, acorns from, from oak trees. Gotcha. All right. Right on. Um, well, tell me about the landscape of the farm. And I think farm, I think flat, I think, um, mostly fields, scattered timber. Um, mm-hmm. what are we looking at here? Uh, well, well, we have, you know, we have some, some, our, our, probably our, only our biggest fields, probably 30 acres at the most. Uh, we have a lot of fields. We have, uh, probably 200 tillable acres on the farm that we can actually plant, you know, uh, uh hay and corn and oats, et cetera. Um, and then the rest is wood. So a lot of it's flat. And then we do have a swampy areas as well that, you know, that's where our pasture is for cattle. Um, but, um, you know, on, di- on different sides of the property, you know, we also have a lot of ravines as well where there's grapevines, um, where deer would like to bed or marflower rows. Um, and that pro- provides good cover. And that's in goldenrod. That's where, you know, they primarily like to bed on our, on our property. So we do have, on the one side, you know, uh, towards the north, we uh, we have a hill, you know, with ravines, grapevines, et cetera, where deer would primarily bed. And then on the flat parts are the fields where the, you know, the feed's going to be out in the fields that we plant for, you know, our livestock cattle as well as, you know, uh, deer and other nature as well. Gotcha. All right. And is this what you do all year round uh, when it comes to the crops? Is that what you're thinking about all the time, or do you have other things that pull your attention away? Actually, you know, when it comes to crops, you know, when you're a farmer, you get, you've got to be able to feed your animals. So, uh, we, I mean, we pretty much think about it all year round. You know, right now in the wintertime, um, you can't really do too much. But, you know, as soon as it starts to thaw a little bit, I mean, you're thinking about, you know, where you're going to plant um where you planted last year and what exactly you need to do this year in order to have the, the production you need for your animals as well as, you know, uh, wildlife. So, I mean, it, it's an all year uh, job. When you live on a farm, it's all year. It's not a part-time job. Uh, it's an all year uh, commitment that you have to be ready for. Gotcha. All right. When do you start thinking about deer season? Uh, to, to be, to be honest, I'm, I, I love archer season. I'm an archer hunter. Um, I think about it all year. Okay. Um, that's what I thought you would um, say. If you're a true hunter, most people say I think about it all year round. They don't don't ever yeah, stop thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 I mean, even as soon as you get a deer, you're thinking, you know, I'm ready for next season. You know, what do I need to do to, to make this even better for next year? Um, so I'm all, I'm constantly thinking about deer season and what I, what I have to do, what, where I need to look, uh, and where I need to, you know, plan for next year, you know, for, for our farm as well as, uh, for, for deer hunting. Gotcha. All right. So the, the, the soil dictates the crops and what's going to go there. And then the crops dictate the hunt for the most part as to mm-hmm. what, what season it's going to be and where, where are you going to place that kind of stuff? Yeah. All right. So yep. what, what's your strategy? Let me, let me back up. Do you only hunt the farm or do you have other pieces that you hunt too? To be honest, I only, I only hunt our farm here. I mean, it's, it's, it's not gated or anything like that. It's public land and, you know, we have neighbors and all that. Um, I only hunt here. 
for when it comes to deer hunting. Hmm. Um, it's just a strategy because I can I can uh, focus all my efforts here. Uh, I I put out around twelve trail cameras a year, um, okay. and you know, uh, and I have different locations on the farm, you know, because that's a lot of land to cover where we need to look at what and see what what they're doing because um, usually where they bed doesn't change unless you know you go in and you. And you and you take trees down, uh, whatnot, and, and change the landscape of that land. But um, usually, the strategy of where they're going to feed, if we're changing crops, they're usually their paths are going to change. So where their feeds at and everything. I'm uh, so that, that's a big strategy, figuring out what the deer are doing uh, throughout the year, because it, it does change from you know winter to fall to summer to spring. So it changes throughout all four seasons. Gotcha. And do you monitor the deer movement all year round with game cameras, or with, you know, I assume you, if if the snow flies, you use some of that that te- technique as as well. But of course, that's not going to give you all year round coverage. So you're using twelve cameras to kind of monitor where deer are moving based off of the crop rotation for the year. Yeah, and you know, and not only that, it shows you a different. Like if you're not getting a lot of pictures, that means they're moving where they're walking. Um, and maybe the feed that was there is not there anymore. So you can kind of learn from deer movements from that. Um, and, uh, so the cameras do tell a lot, uh, the more you can get out there and see what your herd's doing, the better off you're going to be to understand what they're doing different times of the year. So yeah, when it comes to cameras, uh, like the only time I I really don't, I take my cameras down and then I'll put them back up is then in Pennsylvania, they have a two week rifle season. Um, and I take those down because we are on public land. I don't want them to get stolen if, if somebody was going to walk through it and take them. Um, but yeah, I, I, I run those all year round, move them to different spots to see exactly what they're doing through different times of the year. Okay. So this land is public land, but it's your farm. Is it? Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it, it's private land. We're not posted or anything um, or you have fence up, but uh, it, yeah, it's, we, yeah, this, this land is public. It's private. That is kind of private because we own it. Um, but, uh, uh, like the neighbors, they all, the, the neighbors kind of do the kind of same stuff that we do. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a community based effort, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So it's kind of known and technically it's not posted. Um, but it is privately. It's not like it's owned by the state, for example. It's private, privately yeah. owned. You don't post the land. And everybody's kind of yeah. working in conjunction with each, with each other around that area, um, and, um, like a game management strategy. It sounds like. Yeah, exactly. And and in order to you know to get deer you want to have, you, you kind of have to have that commitment from everybody. Gotcha. How many how many neighbors are we talking about? Are they neighboring farmers? And how much land are we talking about when you when you, um, when you think you about know, all the people are, that are involved? I mean, we got neighboring farms. Um, uh, that's pretty much all it is out here is neighboring farms. I, I mean, um, I, there's quite a bit of land out here, uh, but I mean, there's a lot of land. A deer move, you know, substantially throughout the the year. Uh, you know, they they can sometimes, you know, I, I'll have a picture of a buck and you know, a, a guy that hunts uh, uh, seven miles away one time had a picture of that same buck. Usually, it's during the rut season, but I mean, they do move substantially and. Um, so, I mean, there are quite a few of us that, you know, talk and we kind of communicate, you know, what they're doing, where they're going, and and uh, what we need to do to kind of, you know, have food here to keep them in this area. Hmm. Interesting. How does the communication occur? Do you do you just see each other down at the coffee shop, or do you actually have meetings, or do you have just go by phone calls? How do you set that up? Would that, that matter? Oh, uh, actually, 
it's a small community and everybody that hunts, we're kind of friends. So we'll like text each other and talk that way. And, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we'll you know, if it's not going out to the bar, going out to a restaurant, just hanging out and talking to each other. That's kind of how we communicate and talk once in a while. Gotcha. How many total people are involved? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say, you know, yeah, yeah it kind of depends. Cause I mean, there are houses, you know, that people do hunt and they might own 12 acres, but you know, the farmers that, you know, are in between us and them, you know, they, they kind of do the same thing that we do trying to manage, you know, the dirt, the, the doe herd that's huge trying to manage them. So that way, you know, uh, you don't have too many doe, but then you don't have, you know, too few a doe that you're not, you know, producing the amount of deer that you need to have on this, this area. Um, so I, I honestly don't know the exact number. I, you know, I'd say probably at least, you know, 20 people at least, you know, that I talk to and uh, we'll text each other and, and talk about, you know, uh, what we're seeing and what's going on. Gotcha. And it, so it sounds like if you didn't have this kind of community support that you're probably not going to be producing the deer to the size of which you, you took this year. Sounds like that, that uh, might be not, unless it's privately managed kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I, I think you can, um, I think, I honestly think if a deer, if you, because deer do travel, like for instance, you know, I actually work at, I work for Penn state. Um, I'm a 4-H agent yep. uh, there and, and I've, uh, I've, I've done some studies. I've read some studies on, you know, what they've come up with, with deer herds and, and, and button bucks do move. Um, usually button bucks tend to be your end up being your biggest deer. Um, and you know, this might not be true or not, but from what I've learned, um, you know, when you want to harvest a doe, um, it can, you know, I can see both ends. Um, you want to harvest it has button bucks because usually that doe is going to kick out those button bucks because those button bucks will eventually try to breed mom. And, you know, that doe doesn't want that. So she'll kick them out. And they, Penn State's, they've done studies uh, that I've read that those deer, you know, they'll go up to 20 miles away. So, you know, the genetics, you know, that are here or, you know, another state, you know, that they will travel over a period of time and go to different areas. Gotcha. And these are, you know, the, if, these if, are the button bucks you're talking about. Yeah, these are but these are your, your young fawns that were born, you know, in the spring before yeah. uh, the hunting season. Um, those are the deer that will move, you know, especially during the rut when the mom is trying to get bred by a doe, she's starting to cycle. Um, so that, and if, those button bucks will move because the mom will kick them out and they'll go until they find their next, you know, good food source that's away from mom and they're not going to get kicked out anymore. Gotcha. All right. So the, the, the abandonment cycle of life in essence there, yeah. they try to get as far away yeah. as they can once the, the mom yeah. decides it's time. Yeah. And, and with that, you know, genetics, they will move. They'll, they'll move quite rapidly. You know, if, if you don't, you know, I mean, it's impossible to keep all button bucks in your area, but they, it will move. And for instance, you know, uh, in, in an area that could be, you know, next year, it could be, you know, 20, 40 miles away from where I'm at. You know, the genetics that work here could be there now hmm. um, because they will move that way. If, if that makes sense. I, I'm a strong believer in that. Uh, unless, you know, some people aren't um, because they see opposite ends. You know, if that is producing those button bucks, you know, why would you shoot that doe? Cause she's producing your bucks. But then again, you know, I kind of see it that, you know, that button buck's going to get kicked out and that, that genetic going to take off because, you know, his, uh, whoever, you know, his, whoever his dad was is now those, those genetics are, are moving away. 
Gotcha. So your your goal sounds like is to do some some dough management. Yeah, it, you have to have dough management. I mean, if you go out to a field and and you see you know twenty twenty dough, you know fifteen dough, thirty dough, it, you know that that's too many. That's too many uh, deer in that area. You know, uh, I, I think because I'm a farmer too, and we gotta you know have our crops here that you know we we expect deer uh, crop loss, but um, you know we we've got to have enough food you know to feed our our animals here on the farm. But as well, we do expect that, but we can't be tremendous that you know we don't have any crops coming back and right. feeding our animals. Right. Right. So. And I, in my opinion, if you have more food out there and you have a good managed deer herd, um, and that's hard to say for each area, depending on the food source and what you do have, you know, with, with oaks, crab apples, you know, your grasses and all of that, um, what's appropriate for each area. Um, but, you know, typically, you know, if I go out and I see 20 doe, I, I think that's too many doe. You know, if I go out and see, you know, five to, to 10 doe, I, I think that's just about right. Or, you know, even if it's just, you know, around that five number. I think that's just about right where it needs to be. Because in my, in my opinion, those bucks then, when it comes to the rut, they've got to work to find those days a little bit more. So they're going to be moving in your area a little bit more, if that makes sense. Gotcha. And when you're talking about trying to decide, A, what, how to hunt and where to hunt, what goes into your strategy? What, what is, you must have a game plan once you've Maybe it goes back. Maybe you need to learn about what's going on first, and then you decide where you're going to hunt. What what goes into that? How do you decide? Uh, well, the first thing is you got to get out and you got to do your work. Uh, you got you know you got to set your trail cameras. If you, even if you just have ten acres, you can you can in my opinion you can make that into a deer heaven. You know, uh, even if you you know you have five acres of bedding, five acres of of, of food. Um, but like my strategy is trail cameras. I see what the deer are doing, what path they're taking throughout the year. Cause it does change. Uh, I see what's out there, you know, before the season as well as after the season. And then like my strategy, um, um, like I'm a big archery hunter. That's pretty much all I do. Like I will do some, some rifle if I have to, but my strategy is early season. I'm going to hunt more of my, uh, um, grass areas where it hasn't frosted yet or crab apple trees where the apples are still blooming. If they had a good bloom, I'm going to hunt that first. And it's going to be kind of close to the path where I think they're going because those bucks aren't going to be in rut yet. So they're going to, to me, early season, they're going to be looking for food and they're going to be, you know, going back to bedding. So that's pretty much where I hunt early season. You know, middle of the season, you start getting into the rut area. And depending on the year where the frost lies, you know, you might change it. Um, I'll probably go to some oak trees uh, where there's acorns, um, like white oak trees. And I'll hunt that a little bit more. Um, and then when rut comes in and, you know, and that usually by this time you have in this area, you have a pretty good frost. Crab apples are gone. Um, you're going to hunt. I usually hunt more of our oats, uh, not our oats, our corn, excuse me, uh, our corn uh, that's still standing or even taken down or freshly picked or combined. Um, I'll hunt that as well as, you know, the oak trees because those acorns are still going to be there. Gotcha. All right. And, what type of hunting are you doing? It's archery hunting, it sounds like, but are you on the ground, ground blind, you in a, a stand? How do you decide actually, how to do that? Actually, I, I, I'm, an, I'm an archery hunter. That's that's my passion. That's what I love. I just love being out, outdoors uh, that time of the year. Um, and, you know, it putting all the work in, because with archery, you got to get that deer close. I won't take a shot over 30 yards. I just, I have a bow that can do it, but, 
in in my opinion, I just won't do it because I don't want to wound a, a trophy animal if it's a, if the buck um, over thirty. If it you know if I because to me after thirty you can just kind of make a a, a minimal uh, mistake and that deer you're just going to wound it and you're not going to find it and he might die somewhere. So uh, for me, I'm I'm an archery hunter um, and. Uh, and, you know, when it comes to stands, um, I hunt in a stand. I don't hunt on the ground. I do hunt in a stand. Okay. And typically when I when I hang my stands, uh, I'm going to do it uh, in beginning of August, if not late July. So that way I get those stands hung. The deer get used to it if I'm moving the stands, move them around different areas. Um, and to me, if you, you hang them early, the deer get used to it. Um, and therefore, your, your scent's going to be gone by the time the season comes in. You know, cut your lanes. Make sure you have your shooting lanes, uh, you know, left, right, front, behind, depending on, you know, your situation, which, you know, forest area you're hunting. Um, but you, you've got to hang your stands early and then, you know, do your homework, uh, put your trail cameras out, see what they're doing and what you have out there. All right. How many stands are you hanging in August, typically? Well, this past year, I actually, I, I had about 16 stands on. Um, I, I had them kind of everywhere because um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I don't, I don't want to hunt the same stand over and over. Um, um, I think that you, you can kind of, I mean, I use scent cover up and all that. Um, um, uh, but I think you kind of need to move to different stands instead of hunting the same tree where the, that stand is each day. Okay. Um, so I'm a big proponent of if you, if you can get, you know, even two stands and just, you know, Monday hunt here, Tuesday here, and just keep switching back and forth. You know, you're, you're to me, you're going to see more and have a better chance of getting a, a deer. Okay. And do you predetermine where these stands are going all the way back to August before you hunt them? Um, sometimes, honestly, I do because um, I have certain locations where I, you know, I've done my the homework and I know where these deer are going to bed um, and be at. So some stands, you know, I I already know where they're going to go, uh, and you know I've had luck there in the past, so I know where they're going to go. Now, okay. when it comes to our crops, when we rotate our crops. Um, you know, I'll hang stands depending on where those crops are. Okay. All right. So you'll have, a, how many, how many are set? Like how many spots are like your known good spots? You've studied it year over year. That stands going up no matter what. How many of those do you have? Yeah, I'd say I probably, probably on the property, there's probably eight to 10 spots that, you know, definitely at least eight where I know that stand's going to be there. And I'm going to hang that stand right where it was the, the previous year, just due to bedding and stuff but if it you know if it changed it you know the dynamics changed you know where um they were betting and stuff then those stands wouldn't be there um but then the other stands are based on you know crop rotation where the food's at gotcha all right so you've got some some known fixed stands and where you that are pretty much guaranteed unless the landscape changes or you know bedding area gets taken out because you're going in and just I don't know, doing something there. Those are your fixed stands. And then you've got your ver- yeah. variable stands, so to speak, that will alternate and change based off of the pattern of the crops and what you've learned about the deer movement for that particular area. Um, yeah, and and yeah, and yeah, also, you know, in different parts of the, the, pro- uh, the property where you hunt, um, you know, depending on, you know, wind's huge too. Like if I, if I want to hunt, you know, this area and I want to have a, a tree stand in that stand, you know, maybe, you know, I want to hang a stand over here because the wind usually blows here northwest, you know. Maybe I want to change that because I don't, uh, I do want to hunt that spot, but uh, maybe if I hang the stand over here, that wind won't be blowing where they bet, if that makes sense. Yep, 
Yeah, that makes sense. And when you're doing these stands, are you using ladder stands, hang on stands? Which what, what do you prefer there? <clears throat> we I have a, a, a quite a few. I have double man stands. Usually, I like to hang them. I like to be up at least eighteen feet. I think the higher the better uh, with your scent, especially movement. Um, but my so I do have some double man stands. But my favorite are uh, I like the single platform stands with just the stick ladders going up. I feel like I can get up higher and there's less movement. Um, they're not as comfortable as a double as a double man stand, but in my opinion, you know those stands are the best. Now climbers, I'm not big on a climber. Um, I know that's what a lot of people use, and I would use them, but um, you know you are tearing up the bark a little bit. You know I know you tear them up with platforms and stuff too, but I like to already have that stand set, you know, and and know where I'm going to go. So my primarily I use uh, the, those Bigfoot. Um, uh, platform stands, you know, just single seater, just platform and the stick ladders going up. And most times I'm usually like 20 feet high. Okay. All right. Have you ever had a situation where you, you did not expect deer moving? Let's say you're, you're kind of deep into one of the, the seasons and you, 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 did the deer ever change on you? Did you ever say, well, wait a minute, I didn't realize that this is what was happening. And you had to make a, a radical, you know, in between season stand placement. Yeah, I, I mean that has happened before, um, and especially with if if you're hunting like a field that you know what what happens the most with me if I'm hunting a field where you know there's it's new corn or, or new uh, a seed of you know crop uh, that deer would like to eat, um, I you know maybe went to an area where I saw a good deer sign, but you know those deer aren't coming from that particular area. They may be walking through there at night, but you know, when I see them, you know, they're, they're coming up to the far corner. And by the time, you know, I could even get a shot, maybe they're, it's dark, it's too dark to even take a shot at those deer. So, um, I have had that where, you, you know, you, you have done your homework and you're seeing deer, but they do change, you know, if it's because of the weather, if it's because, you know, uh, weather's huge because weather changes from year to year. Um, and maybe they, you know, they just, maybe they just change it a little bit. Uh, their pattern. So maybe, yeah, you will need to make a quick move. Uh, and I have done that, but usually when, you know, I make a quick move with a stand, you know, I, well, I, I usually move it on a Sunday because in PA you can't hunt Sunday. Gotcha. And then I usually let that stand sit for at least four, four to five days before I'll actually get in it just to let that kind of calm down. Even if I haven't spooked something, that sense still going to be there. Gotcha. All right. That's fascinating. Now, how much do you lean on the cameras for Intel? Oh, uh, huge. It, Cameras to me are huge because, you know, I, you know, you don't see all the deer, um, but you, the deer you do see, you know, what, what is out there and, and what's going on and, you know, what you want to hunt for. Um, and, uh, a big thing, you know, uh, with the cameras too, is after the seasons are over, you know, cause deer will travel and they will, you know, you know, get taken in other areas, um you can see what you have after the season too. And if they're coming back, um, especially with bucks, bucks are a lot easier to tell. Um, so cameras are huge. Um, and you can tell, you know, exactly how many doe you're having. You know, I had a picture, you know, with, you know, like there was like 10 doe in the one picture in the one area. And I'm like, well, that's why, how do I have that many doe in the picture? To me, that's too many doe in that area. So maybe I need to, you know, maybe harvest a doe there. So I do, rely heavily on those cameras and then it the big thing is just knowing what bucks you do have there you know what management bucks you have um you know if it's if it's a seven point that's you know 12 inches wide and he's he's messed up or eight point you know whatnot um 
you know, maybe you want to take that buck out to get him out of the gene pool. Or, you know, for instance, you have a, a buck that you want to go after that, you know, is a buck of a lifetime or, you know, and you can kind of age deer. Uh, it's almost impossible to do um, perfectly because to me, you can only age them by the teeth perfectly. Um, so, I mean, you can do it that way too. So the cameras are a huge part of, of, of how I hunt. Gotcha. And how often are you checking game cameras and their cards and, and seeing what's moving around? Uh, I usually check them weekly. I give them, you know, seven seven to ten days before I'll go up and check them. Um, that's usually what I do, try to keep the send down a little bit more. I know guys um, usually wait longer, but I usually try, you know, wait at least seven days before I go up and I pull that card. Okay. Um, and is it a rotating basis, like you, you're constantly checking cards, or you just have a, a day where you check everything? Um, it's kind of rotating, you know, some days, you know, if, if, if I know I can sneak up there, uh, and it's only been, you know, maybe six days, but usually I try to wait seven, you know, I'll go up there and check it. Um, but you usually, you know, if I'm going to set, you know, cameras in a certain area on a Sunday, I'll, I'll try to wait until that next Sunday. Okay. So you're, you're running 16 stands, you're running 12 cameras and you're going to check 12 cameras seven, uh, once a week. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, that, yeah, that's pretty much how it works. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much you know the the typical you know how to check cameras. You know, it depends on your your card too. You know how many yeah. uh, gigabytes you have and how many pictures it can hold, and you know what type of camera you're using. Right. And what wh- wh- what type of device are you using to check pictures? Are you using you know like a, a SD card reader into an Apple iPhone or some kind of a um, iPad or something like that? Or do you have something else that you're using? Actually, yeah, I, I just take my. I have a computer. I just specifically for deer hunting. Okay. I, it was actually my college. It was my college computer, and I turned it into just a deer hunting computer for pictures. Gotcha. And that's how I get all of my uh, pictures. Gotcha. So you're actually swapping out cards as you go, and you bring it back to your computer and load it up on your yeah. your deer computer. Yep. Because gotcha. I don't want to waste time. I don't want to waste time in the woods. I want to get that card and, and get out of there. So I don't, you know, it, the, the the least amount of scent as possible is what my game plan is when I go to get cards. All right. Speaking of scent, how how emphatic are you about scent? I mean, it sounds like you play the wind. You and you you'll design a hunt for that evening or morning, whatever, based off of whatever the wind direction is and where you think you the deer are going to come from. But besides yeah, that, I, how much more do you get into deer scent or it's scent control for deer hunting? I, I yeah, scent scent to me is big. Um, you know, I before the season, you know, I always wash my clothes and and it's uh, scent, scent killer and the scent killer uh, uh, detergent and all that. Um, and then you know, I I put them in a tote. You know, and the only time they they come out of that tape when I'm outside getting dressed. Um, okay. But I, yeah, when it comes to the wind, the wind's huge um, because um, if you're sitting in an area where the wind's blowing where they're bedding, you know, there's a good chance if if you're hunting a big buck, he's gonna most deer actually. But if you're hunting a big buck, he's gonna know what you, you smell like. And most times, you know, if it's definitely early season, um, he's gonna smell you and he's gonna wind you and circle you. Um, but when it comes to other stuff, you know, I do use, um, I, I, buck bomb, I've used buck bomb. Um, I'm a big ton of buck bomb. I think that works well. And even if you you can't, you don't want to use buck bomb, just a, a, a scent cover, just to cover, you know, a scent that you might be giving off if it's, you know, um, your scent from getting out of your truck or, or, or walking in just, you know, or you're just, your, you know, cause you always have scent. I use, uh, um, deodorant as well. 
uh, to see, uh, and you know, it's kind of a, um, once you use it and you, it works for you, you always kind of use it and get in the habit of okay. it. All right. How, how far from your stand or how, let me back up. How do you get to your stand? Do you drive a certain way? You take four wheeler, uh, a buggy rig. How do you, how do you go to and from your stand? I, I walk, I walk slow, very slowly and watch where I step. Um, um, because noise is huge. Um, you know, typically when it's, you know, uh, uh, when it, the leaves start falling, it's it's very hard to get your stand without making noise. Uh, I think noise is big. Uh, you don't want to make noise. So usually I walk to, you know, everywhere I'm going. If I'm just, you know, parking along the road or if I'm parking on the tractor path, you know, that's, you know, from the road, I walk from there. I, I, I think that's huge. Making as, as least amount of noise as possible um, is, is the best proponent of getting to your stand. So just kind of watch where you walk. That's what I do. Okay. And how far from your vehicle or, or travel route, like where you're parking your vehicles, do you, do you have a, like a minimum distance? Like you feel like you got to stay away before you start your walk? Uh, yeah, usually, you know, when I, I, you know, I park my vehicle, usually what I do is, you know, I'll, I might walk, you know, if I'm walking a field edge, I'll walk that field edge until I'm getting ready to go in the woods. Mm-hmm. And then for, at that moment, or, you know, if it's rut season, it depends on the year, you know, maybe you want to, you know, put a drag rope out with some scent. So that way you're kind of covering your tracks. Um, so it, it, it's, it depends on the year, but, uh, you know, I do stop and I, I do put scent, uh, a, a different scent out that maybe, you know, that deer might, you know, be interested in if it's not a doe and estrus or, you know, your buck bomb or, or whatnot, or, um, or even if it's just like uh, a fox and that you're just, you know, covering up, your, you know, your scent cause you're still giving off a little bit and it might not make him spooked if that makes sense at all. Yeah. Yeah, and how far do you find yourself typically walking from vehicle to stand? Is it a long walk? Um, uh, usually about average. It's probably, I don't know, probably 350, 400 yards. That's about average. About average. Okay, All right. that, that makes sense. What about uh, camouflage and that kind of thing? I mean, we've talked about scent cover, covering your smells. Do you care about what you're wearing in the stand once you get there? Yeah, I, I mean, my... You know, on my inside layer, you know, they're not going to see that, so I don't really worry about that. But for outside, I have a, a I use Real Tree. It's Scentlock Real Tree. Um, it's at one pattern, you know, and I think it does a fantastic job of kind of covering up, you know, um, you in the stand, and it, you blend in real well with the tree. They have all kinds of different patterns, but I'm a big proponent of you know the the Scentlock Real Tree. That's that's what I use. I think it, it works the best. Okay. When you're placing your stand where you're placing it, and you're placing it based off of either it's one of those locked-in stands, meaning that you know there's there's A and B, there's the the permanent stands, so to speak, or the ones that you know are going to be there, and then you got the variables. When you're after you've decided where it's going to go, what how do you strategize on where it's going to be placed in that area? Uh, you just, uh, well, when it comes, you mean to the stand. Yeah, like, uh, what? How do you decide which tree it's going to go into? How do you decide, you know, what what angle like, it's going to be at? Yeah, usually what I do is if I'm going to look at if I'm looking at an area where I want to hang a stand, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put a trail camera up and see, you know, if I'm getting pictures of this deer. Because sometimes if you put a trail camera up, those deer might be walking behind that trail camera. You might not be getting pictures of them. So usually I, I'll put a trail camera up first, see which direction they're coming from. And it also depends on the wind, too, on which way I'm going to hang that stand. Um, or, you know, 
you know, if you're going in the woods, you know, you kind of want to go where they're bedding, where you think they're walking from, you know, your, what you're looking at with your cameras. If, if, or if you, you just see, you know, tracks or, you know, or scat or whatnot, um, that's kind of what I look at. Um, but then another thing too is, you know, if you, if you're hunting a field too, um, usually when it comes to fields, I like to be kind of angled, um, straight away from the field. So that way I can shoot that field, but I'm not facing that field because uh, I feel like if you're, if you're looking right at a field and you're facing a field, um, those deer are going to see you a little bit more. So I kind of try to angle a little bit away. So that way, you know, I can, you know, have some cover behind that tree. Um, then with, with the, with the trees, you know, um, it depends on the type of stand you're using. Usually, you know, if you're using a double man stand, you're going to need a bigger tree to hang that, that stand on. Um, I'm a bigger fan of the little platform. So, you know, I might hang on a little maple. Um, I've hang on some uh, white oak trees. I think that white oak trees are huge because, um, they like, uh, the, the acorns that they produce. So, um, I, I'm a big proponent of trying to hang on a, uh, an, an, oak tree, an oak tree. I think that's probably the best. An oak tree. All right. So your preference is an oak tree and then you try not to yeah. be so obvious facing out yeah, into the you, field. You want to get some angle back so that you can shoot it, but you don't, you don't get spotted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, you want to have good cover. Gotcha. And it sounds like if you have this intuition that I think this is where the deer are coming through, you know, I've got some sign there. And then you, then you slap, mm-hmm. you slap a camera up to, to confirm before you actually place. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If you, if you, you know, you can see a rundown trail or anything, you know, it, you can get a cheap camera, you know, if you can hang it up and, and just see what, what is happening there. You, you should get some pictures if it's a half decent trail. Okay. And after you hang the stand, do you leave the the camera there or do you take it with you and, and place it somewhere else? Uh, it depends on the year. Usually I'll leave the camera there. Now, when it comes to a, a main trail, honestly, you know, I don't, I won't hang right on it. I'm going to hang probably 25 yards away. Cause usually if you have a mature buck in that area, he's not going to walk that main trail cause he's smart enough. He, he's, you know, in my opinion, he's going to be like, I'm going to walk a side trail. You know, I'm not walking that cause you know, something might know that animals are walking there. So usually I try to hang a little bit off those main trails and, you know, see if there's a side trail somewhere. All right. And how are you deciding if there is a side trail? What are you looking for? Uh, typically, you know, usually when there's a side trail from a good main trail, you know, you might have uh, uh, rubs from the previous year um, that you can kind of see indented in the trees. So that could be a side trail from a buck from the previous year. So maybe that, that is there. Or, you know, or it could be, you know, there's more cover over here because um, mature bucks usually, you know, I know it does happen. Usually they're going to want more cover than what a doe will. So if there's more cover over in that area, maybe, that you know, that's where he is walking um, and staying off the path. Gotcha. All right. So they'll walk down the, the obvious trail and then the buck will, will be on the side of it, probably in, in some thicker cover. And that's where you're going to try to set up. Yeah, that's usually what I typically try to do. Okay. Now, when you're in the thicker cover, obviously you have to deal with thicker cover when it comes to shooting an arrow. So how do you strategize on shooting lanes and things like that? Or you just, do you leave it alone a lot so you can have the, the natural cover there? Or do you open it up some? You know, I, I do, I, I, I do make shooting lanes, but I like to leave natural cover as much as possible. Um, and a big thing with archery, you know, uh, to me, it's, it's the way to hunt, but practice. You, you've got to practice year-round and, and know what shots you can make. 
But when it comes to making my shooting lanes, you know, usually typically I try to make one, one to the main path, you know, one that I know I could shoot, hopefully get that deer to stop there. And then, you know, I try to go from there left uh, in front and into the, to the back from where that, um, uh, main trail is. So that way I can shoot, you know, my front behind me, uh, to my left and to my right. Okay. Gotcha. And you said you like to practice a lot and do you, do you have a practice stand where you actually shoot from closer to your house or, or wherever your, your station? Yeah. Do you practice a lot from the stand? Yeah. And actually, um, I do have a, a stand typically, you know, I honestly like, like this time of year, I don't have that stand up. So if I want to shoot, you know, usually what I do actually is I, I, I'll get on my truck bed and maybe put a ladder on and shoot from that. Um, that's probably, that's usually what I do, but, uh, yeah, I do put a practice stand up and shoot down from that as well. I, I usually do that during the, the summer and the, you know, the, uh, the early spring, summer and a little bit of fall months. So that way, cause when you're in that stand, that area is going to take a, a different direction than it would when you're on the ground. Gotcha. So, uh, I, I think that's a big, uh, big thing too, to know exactly, you know, what, how your bow's shooting and, uh, right. that's huge. Gotcha. And how many arrows are you shooting when you're practicing? Do you, I've heard multiple theories. I shoot a bunch and then I go get them all, or I shoot one at a time. I shoot two at a time. What, what's your theory on that? I shoot three. Uh, I think uh, three is the number because it, it shows me a good pattern. Usually I get a triangle pattern, um, or, you know, it'll be straight up and down if it's real close. Um, but uh, usually I shoot three. Now, you know, I do take breaks because I'm a bit, you're not going to, your arm does get sore after a while. So take, you know, I do take breaks, but. I always shoot three at the most. And I, when I do shoot, every time I do shoot, I always end on a good note, not a bad note. Like, oh, crap, you know, I wish I would have done better. I always end on a, on a good note, so that way you feel a little right. bit better about how you were shooting. Gotcha. And how often do you shoot during the, the off off um, off season? How, how many times a week do you end up shooting? Uh, I try to shoot, you know, off season. I try to shoot at least three times a week, but sometimes that's rough, you know. You know, as long as I can get, you know, at least two to even sometimes, you know, I get busy with work, you know, at least one time a week. Uh, that's my goal. But I usually try to get out and shoot at least three times a week, if not, you know, one, if if, if that's all your schedule can afford. Gotcha. All right. I think we've kind of painted the picture of your strategy and all the things that you think about going into your hunt and game management and the types of, of, of the terrain that you're actually hunting. It sounds like, you know, you're sticking to what you know. And you don't need to venture out. You've got plenty of cooperation, but there's also plenty of adventure on, on this piece of property and there's lots of different aspects to it. So, but because you have such a working intimate knowledge of what's there, where they go and it it changes year to year, but you, you can figure it out that it almost helps you because you know better than an unknown spot where you're kind of guessing like this is an educated guess in, in other words. Yeah, I mean, that that does help because I do know the area. You know, I hunt it every year, so I, I do know what they do. Um, that, you know, that does help a lot. Uh, yep. to, you know, even if you're hunting the game lands, because, uh, you know, go there and, you know, because I, I have gone to game lands, but usually, typically, I stay here um, and, and just kind of uh, figure out, you know, if you're hunting that area, just, you know, remember what you see that year and what they're doing, if they're too far away, you know, exactly, you know, which direction. And you can kind of base it from there. If you keep hunting that same area, 
uh, you know, where you're at because it is beneficial because you can use previous years just like, you know, I do of what the deer are going to do. Gotcha. All right. Very cool. All right. Let's get into the hunt a little bit. I'm very curious to hear how this whole hunt unfolded with this fantastic buck that you sent in. Um, and I'm curious, uh, like when, when did that hunt start for you? Well, for me, you know, that the hunt for that buck started, I actually got a trail camera picture of him on August 14th. Uh, don't ask me why I remember that day. I just do. Um, and that the hunt for that buck to me began on that day. I, I saw that buck and, uh, and I was like, you know, I, that's a buck of a lifetime. I, I've got to figure out what he's doing and, and how I can get on him. So to me, it, it started before the season, um, and, and trying to figure out what I can do now. It's strange because, you know, I, I hang cameras all year. You know, I didn't have a picture of him last year. I, I honestly don't, I, I, I didn't have a picture of him. I, I don't know where he came from for sure, but I just knew he was, you know, in this general area. And, um, so that's when the hunt started for me. Uh, and it just continued, you know, all year, you know, uh, kind of trying to figure out what he was doing, where he was going, where he was bedding, what he was eating. Mm. And then, um, how, it just, it all happened. How far did you, did you d- determine that he was traveling overall? Um, you know, you know, I, you can't really, I, I don't know for sure. I was kind of making assumptions, but, but I, I want to say at most he was probably moving because he had good feed in this area. You know, once he got here, you know, wherever he, he did come from, which, you know, I, I honestly don't know because I didn't have pictures of him. Um, but I, I would say the furthest difference was probably two to three miles at the most. Okay. Um, but he was in this general area. Okay. All right. So you identified a core area of about two to three miles for this particular yeah. buck. All right. And so, so you got a picture of him in, on August 14th. And that's when you decided this was the buck that you hoped you'd have an encounter with. Yeah. And uh, not, yeah, I hoped, you know, usually a buck that, that big, they're nocturnal. They're not going to move too much, you know, during shooting time. So, you know, I, you know, I, I told myself, you know, there is a, you know, a, a buck of a lifetime out there. Um, and you know, we're going to go after him, but I honestly, you know, I figured I'd, you know, I'd try to do the right things, but you know, I, I didn't think that I would have gotten the opportunity to, to take this buck of a lifetime. Just, you know, how big and smart this, this deer was. Gotcha. All right. So what, what did you strategize at that point? What was going through your head? Uh, at, at that point, um, you know, what I started doing, uh, was, you know, put stands up, you know, where I think he's going to be and where, where's my best opportunity to get him. Um, and especially, you know, my goal was, I honestly thought the best time to harvest this buck was going to be, uh, if he makes a small mistake during early season, um, and it, it would have been like, you know, the first week, if he made a small mistake, you know, during that first week, um, I was going to, you know, try to set up to where I could get a shot maybe at him in the early morning or late night. Cause he's not, in my opinion, I didn't think he was going to move, um, you know, later in the day when it was brighter out. Um, and then from there, you know, you know, concentrating on the rut and maybe, you know, there's a hot dough around that he's going to smell and it's going to force him to get up. Um, but my, my main focus and goal was the early season. Okay. All right. So you're, you're trying to avoid any of the, the rut stuff kind of kicking in. You're going early. Yeah. Uh, because you know, he's, I knew, I knew he was in that general area. And once the rut comes in, there could be a doe, you know, maybe five, six miles away and he, he might smell that and he's going to go to that, where that doe is. Cause that, I mean, they will travel, you know, six miles away and then they'll eventually come back, you know, just trying to find does. Right. So my, my goal was to get him in that early season. Okay. 
And when you say mess up a little bit, what do you mean by that? What were you hoping he would do? Um, uh, uh, see, in there, I was hoping either, you know, maybe, you know, he made a mistake and he went out a little bit too early to get seed. Okay. Um, cause I was kind of hunting feed. I had a, I was kind of guessing where he was bedding. Um, I had two areas where I thought he might be bedding down. Okay. Um, and they were kind of in between where I was hunting where the food was. So I was kind of hunting where the food was hoping that he would make a mistake and go to feed early or, uh, or, or, or go to his bedding late or go to the feed, his feed real late. Gotcha. All right. So how long did you get to monitor this buck be- before you started hunting him? Um, you know, I only, I only had a few pictures of him. I only had three pictures of him. I mean, cause he wasn't stopping and going. Um, I mean, he, uh, he, he was moving, you know, he was moving and checking out the area, at least in my opinion. Um, so, I mean, I only had three pictures of him. So I, I was trying to monitor what he was doing, but I mean, he, he said to me that a bucket, you know, of this caliber, he's so smart that, you know, he knows what's, he kind of knows what's going on is, and, you know, there might have been something over there, maybe taking a picture, even though I used that infrared, yeah. you know, maybe he thought, you know, he saw that light or something. Right. So he, he was a tough deer to monitor. Okay. All right. So, but you knew you, you, you had a guess that this was the area yes. that he was probably betting yeah. in, probably feeding in, and you didn't want to let the rut show up and have some doe take him off of the range. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. All right. So what, what day did you, did you start hunting? Um, the, the first day here, I, I do believe it was a Saturday. It was November 5th. I mean, October 5th, excuse me. It was October 5th. October that was the first 5th. day. Okay. Yeah. It, it was a Saturday. It might've been the 6th. I'm pretty sure it was uh, October 5th. And, um, that was the first day for me. I, you know, I hunted the best stand where I thought I was going to get an opportunity at that buck, uh, possibly. Okay. Um, even though I, I only gave myself like a 10% chance, but there was still a chance. Um, that's when it, it officially started the hunting season for me on, on this buck. Okay. Why 10%? Um, because that, to me, an old buck, uh, because I thought he was going to be really old. Uh, he's smart and he's going to move during night and get feet, but he might make, you know, a mistake and move a little bit too early. Okay. All right. So you were just basically weighing out your odds against yeah the nature of yeah. a big white tail box. Gotcha. Yes, exactly. Cause they're smart. You know, they don't get that big being dumb. You know, these, when they get when a, a mature buck gets big, they're they're a smart deer and they're going to move, you know. When they usually when they know that they're safe, uh, and because they they don't get that big for no reason, right? And especially on on land that's not fenced in, you know, it's uh, a free free range deer. That, you know, they know and they're smart about it because they're free range. Okay, all right. October fifth comes and goes. What were you thinking? You know. I, wasn't too upset you know i i figured you know i had a few more days of the early season you know maybe i'd see him um i was hoping you know you always have that hope because you know he's out there you know that you could get on him and, and maybe get a, a good shot at him uh, so i was hoping um so i mean i wasn't really down i just love being out there enjoying the season i know that buck's out there so i mean i wasn't too upset you know i was still i still have good hope okay all right so tell me more about what happened throughout the course of the season um well you know i I saw some some uh, some decent bucks throughout the the season, uh, and I, I did pass on them. They were just you know young bucks that they need another year, probably two and a half. Um, and you know they, they were decent, but they they need another year to. Because usually, you know, when you think about PA, if you if you typically shoot a deer that's over one thirty one forty, that's a good PA buck, right? Um, and you know, oh, definitely. I mean, yeah. that, 
those are fantastic PA bucks. And, you know, these bucks are probably around, you know, 100, 110. Um, and, you know, they just need another year um, to grow. And, you know, you just kind of hope that they make it, you know. And um, and I did pass on a seventh point that he did need to be um, harvested. He, you know, he had some um, uh, kind of messed up genetics uh, from, you know, what I was looking at, Adam. But, you know, he was... Um, you know, that buck was still on my mind, that one that I was going after. So, you know, I was seeing some deer, uh, um, but it just wasn't him. Gotcha. All right. So days progress. What time of year are we getting into before you're starting to wonder what's going to happen? Well, you know, it, it all started, you know, kind of the pre-rut action kind of took in. And, you know, once the rut comes in, you're like, uh, you know, he might be moving, you know, going in different areas. Um, he might be gone. Um, but you know, that, so that kind of goes through your head and you think about that. Um, so the pre-rut was in, you know, I was, you know, hoping still, um, uh, but usually, you know, they move when there's a hot doe around. Uh, I think, you know, every hunter knows when there's a hot doe around, it's the best day in the woods because you see a lot of deer. Um, so once the pre-rut came in, I was starting to get a little worried, but you know, you never know, maybe I can get a, a hot doe around me that, that, uh, he might be around. So, Gotcha. And what time of year is this occurring where you were at? Uh, the pre-rut, it started probably, you know, in the middle of October, um, pre-rut towards, towards probably the later end, probably around the, the 20th, the, the, you know, the 22nd, somewhere in there, uh, the pre-rut kind of started, um, in my opinion. Gotcha. All right. All right. And then what happened? Well, then, you know, we had a, a moon, I think moon phases are big, uh, it was a bright moon, um, and there was a full moon, and it was real bright. And I, at least around here, I I honestly thought I was like, well, I, the rut's going to come in. I saw that moon, and, and uh, you know, um, you know, I checked some cameras, and I actually had a picture of a, of a buck breeding a doe, and I'm like, well, the rut's in, you know. And and when you go to your stand, and you start seeing some deer and, and some some uh, smaller bucks chasing some doe, you know, the rut's in, and. Um, um, the early rut and that's what started to happen. Um, and then, uh, October 28th, that was the day I'll, I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, that to me, the, the rut was kind of in. So, you know, I was, I was, you know, doing some grunting and stuff. Um, okay. but October 28th was the day and, uh, right. uh, it was a Friday. A Friday. All right. Tell me, tell me about the, that, the, the night before, what was, what was going through your head? Well, you know, I, I was at work actually the day before on Thursday and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take tomorrow off and hunt. I, I think the rut's in, uh, I was pretty sure, you know, the rut was right on the edge of coming in, if not already in. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take a, that Friday off. And, you know, I, you know, I, I kind of was thinking about stands where to hunt and, uh, I went where, uh, I thought he might be, um, if he was still in the area and I thought, you know, might as well give it a shot and try it. So, and, and uh, then the night before, that's kind of what I was thinking about, you know, where exactly to hunt, where I think he's going to be, and, and especially what the wind was and what was going to be the perfect setup. Gotcha. All right. So the the, the morning comes. It's it's pre light. What what time are you getting out of bed? Uh, you uh, well, I mean, it was getting bright here around, you know, probably I want to say seven o'clock. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I got out of bed probably around five fifteen. Okay. I, I usually get up, make myself a little breakfast. That's when I got up. Okay. So yeah, you got up, you're getting ready. You've, you've picked your, the stand you're going to go to. Did you do any prep work about you know, wind direction, things like that? Did you, did you check any of that stuff? 
Yeah, and I did. I checked it the night before and, you know, looked at where, which way the wind was going to be, what the weather was going to be like, and, uh, and where, you know, from there, that's what made my decision of just checking the weather. And what, what type of, what are you using to check weather? Are you using the app? Are you using a, some, the computer? How do you de- determine? Yeah, that? I just, I, I just use the weather app on my phone. Okay. I just look it up and then I, I kind of watch it throughout the night, you okay. know, yep. uh, especially if it's going to rain or snow, whatnot. Gotcha. All right. All right, so the morning comes, you have your breakfast, then what happens? Um, I, I got dressed, and, uh, you know, I, I actually I got down to my stand. I, I usually try to get in at least 45 minutes early before, you know, it, it starts getting bright out sheet time. Um, so uh, I got down, uh, went, got in my truck, you know, drove to where I, uh, the piece of property I was hunting here, uh, and uh, and I, you know, parked along the road and um, got dressed. I, I don't like to get dressed in the house. I actually get dressed out in the Sure. Uh, outside, and uh, uh, and I probably you know started walking to my stand, and uh, I got my stand around six fifteen. Um, now, one thing I did do that day um, is I did I put a drag rope out and I I, I put some scent lure on it mm-hmm. um, just to kind of cover up my my steps. Okay, gotcha. And what what was the weather like that morning? Um, you know, it was it was chilly. It was probably I mean it wasn't too cold. There was a slight frost on, not a huge frost. I, I don't want to say it was. You know, when I got out of my truck, it was probably like 36 degrees, 37 degrees. Okay. But it was, was it still windy, rainy? Actually, it was very still in the morning. Um, okay. Very still. Gotcha. All right. So you get your drag rope going. It's a beautiful morning. No, nice, mm-hmm. nice and still, kind of the way they like it. Um, you're out pre-light, 45 minutes, um, and you get to your stand. Any Any... Any indication that something big was going to happen that day? Did you have that feeling, or was it just another day in the woods? Well, see, actually, walking into my stand, I uh, <clears throat> I kind of got down on myself because you know I heard a, a couple deer blow. Uh, you know, they make that noise when they get spooked, and they took off. So I I knew that a couple deer were because I was walking through a field. They were feeding in that field, and uh, and I was hunting in a like a woods line area, and, and well, I was bigger than a woods line. Like the woods was the thickness of probably, you know, 150, 200 yards, um, area. And, uh, uh, so I kind of got down on myself, you know, I was like, Oh crap, you know, I just spooked some deer up and that's for any hunter. They know that's the worst feeling when you spook deer up, you don't know exactly what it was. And it might've been him. You didn't know. Uh, and that's, you know, so I was kind of sitting, I got in the stand. I'm like, well, crap, you know, that kind of sucked. I spooked some deer on my way in, but right. who knows? You might as well sit here now. Right. Gotcha. All right. Then what happens next? I actually, what I started to do was uh, I, I, the rut, you know, I, I start when the rut, pre-rut rut comes in, I start to do grunts. Uh, so I was doing some blind, I just figured I'd do some blind grunts to start it out to see what happens around eight o'clock. Yeah, probably seven thirty, seven thirty, eight o'clock. I started doing some blind grunts and, uh, I usually typically, I was bleeding, you know, three times, you know, two real short ones on a, a little bit longer one, kind of like a breeding grunt. Um, but not too long because uh, it, it was right on the edge of rut. When you said, so I was you said every, blind grunts, is that what you said? Yeah, blind grunts. Blind like, grunts. What, and, do you, what do you mean by that? And that? You know, I'm not seeing deer. You know, I'm just, you know, I, to, I usually just use a buck. Like, it, it's a buck grunt. I don't, you know, because I have a grunt called it, the doe, fawn, and buck. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not seeing deer. So, you know, the rut's kind of in. Um, so I figured I'd start doing some blind grunts. You know, there's no deer. I can't see any deer. They might be around. There might be a buck traveling around in my area. 
So maybe it's a mature buck. So I'm doing, you know, typically three blind grunts to see if that buck is walking and I can't see him. He doesn't hear that and, and, and come over and check it out. That, so that's what I okay. was doing. So you're saying three blind grunts. Now, what do you mean as far as the timing? Is it, is it cons- right away? Is consecutive? Is it spaced out? What, what are your, what's the strategy there? Um, I usually, you know, when I do my, typically when I grunt, <clears throat> I do my first grunt and I wait, you know, I wait like, like two to three seconds before the second one, the third one. So I don't want it to go on and on. I, I don't, I usually typically don't like to be long. Um, so I usually wait between each grunt, like two to three seconds. It, it's not very long. Okay. And so you, you're getting, getting out all three grunts inside of 10 seconds ish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and one reason why I did that, you know, uh, and I've always kind of done that because, um, when the rut was in before in previous years, you know, I, when I, I shot a decent eight point, um, he, that's what he was doing. You know, I, I kind of monitored what he was doing and to what I kind of do now. Okay. All right. And, okay. and was from that series of three, was there a time frame that you wanted to let pass before you did it again? Yeah. Like, like, um, uh, like in, in between each three, I'd wait two to three seconds and then after I did those three, I'd wait and do it every 30 minutes. So let's say I actually, I was doing it every, like I started at seven 30. Uh, so I do my first set of three at seven 30, my next set of three at eight o'clock. Okay. So every 30 minutes, that's, and are you that's typically, monitoring it on your, on your watch kind of, or, or phone saying, all right, it's been 30 minutes or so. And let's do it again. Yeah, I, yeah, I do. That's how I monitor it. Actually, I use my son. Um, I kind of, you know, just check my phone once in a while and okay, it's been, you know, 28, 29 minutes, uh, let's run again. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Gotcha. And so what, what, what time of day is this at this point? It's morning time. Where, where are we at in the morning? Um, uh, you know, when I first started the grunts, it was, you know, around seven thirty. Um, that's when I started it and, you know, every 30 minutes and then, you know, uh, eight 30 came around and, you know, I did it again. And to be honest that, you know, around 8.45, I uh, said a prayer. I was like, you know, Lord, let me have a, a safe hunt today. And if it's your will, let me see some deer. And if it's your will, let me get that buck. Uh, that's honestly what I did at 8.45. And then uh, at 9 o'clock, I, you know, I did my, my set of blind grunts again. And then uh, at 9, uh, 9.04, it all happened. Uh, that's right. that's that's when it everything happened. All right, tell me about the, when everything happened. Let's slow that down. Let's let's slow down those last four minutes. So you do your last grunt at nine o'clock, and between nine and nine o five, what happens between those two two moments? Well, you know, I did my my last set of grunts at nine, and uh, you know, I was just kind of looking in front of me, and I look over to my right where uh, you know where there is bedding over that way where I thought he might have been. Um, and there were actually some crab apple trees over there. And now, I mean, it was probably like nine oh one, nine oh two. I mean, it wasn't very long. Yeah. And, and I look over and I, and I, you're in the you're woods in, at this point. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm in my stand. You're okay. So you're not, you're not in a field. Like you're in the woods. You're not. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm in my stand and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm hunting, uh, you know, ready to go. Um, and, uh, uh, so it was like nine Oh one, nine Oh two. I look over to my right towards, you know, where there, there's bedding way over there. You can't see it. Um, where he, you know, might come from, um, and some crab apple trees. And I look over and I saw a buck and I'm like, that's, that's a good buck. Uh, I didn't know it was the buck at the time, but I knew it was a, a very, very good buck okay. at that moment. And what, what gave it away? Like, how did you know, how did you, I mean, you saw it was a good buck, but you couldn't identify 
that it was the buck that you had initially initially had pictures of. Well, what what didn't give it away, so to speak? Uh, well, see, when I first saw him, I, I only saw his left his left side, okay. and so I didn't you know see his width, and so I only saw his left side. I mean, and he was in some pretty you know the, there was crab apples there, but it was pretty thick. You know, a lot of branches and stuff, and, and he was probably at that point you know forty five fifty yards. He, I mean, he's probably fifty yards away at that point when okay. I first saw him. Okay. All right, and this isn't it. So he was in some good cover. Yeah, so they're in cover. It's, it's funny how you can't identify them until you get the full three sixty almost. Sometimes with that rack, like you got to get a frontal to know that hey, this is this is that buck. And from the side, sometimes they just kind of disappear. You can't quite tell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and especially if you're hunting thick area, you know, you know when you see a good buck, you see a good buck. But it's it's tough to identify that it's the the buck that you're going after. Right. Gotcha. All right. So then what happened? Well, he, uh, you know, I just saw his left side and I, I didn't want to look at him. Uh, so I, I always try to look at deer, like the corner of my eye, you know, if it's, if it's a good deer and, you know, a deer that I'd, I'd like to take. So I'm looking at the corner of my eye and he starts, you know, coming my way. So I'm still sitting in, you know, in my, my stand and, uh, I didn't want to get up because I didn't want to make sudden movements, even though, you know, I was probably in that stand, I was probably like 18 feet up in the air, um, and uh, he moved rather quickly, uh, and then he stopped, and he stopped behind a bunch of brush. So all I saw was his back end, and at this point, he was probably 35 yards away. Mm. And um, so <clears throat> he ended up, like, I thought he was going to come in front. He ended up going behind me. So I really couldn't, I didn't want to move because I didn't know if, if, if he was looking in my area when he was walking behind me. So I... Uh, um, kind of could see his body outline through the corner of my eye walking behind me and eventually stopped behind me. And at that moment, I, I knew he was kind of behind my tree, um, you know, probably 30 yards away. And I, at that moment, I was like, well, I got to stand up. I don't think he can see me at this point because I know he's, you know, he's in some cover behind me yeah. and I have a tree. So at that point, I stood up, you know, and at that point, I turned to my left because I figured he was going to come to my left behind me. And my, I have a shooting lane to my actually to my left behind me, and I figured that was where he was going to go. So that's when I turned and uh, you know get you know behind my tree. You know I'm all ready to go, and um, I didn't see him for you know probably thirty thirty seconds. It was the longest thirty seconds of my life. <laughs> right. uh, and uh, I didn't see him. Then finally, you know, I heard him start walking again. And, uh, it, it was real quick. Cause I mean, it was in some good cover and I knew this was a good buck. Uh, I, I still didn't know it was the buck, but I knew, you know, it was a good, uh, it was a dandy buck. Um, and, uh, so he, he came in my shooting lane he was probably, tw- uh, it was like 25, 28 yards away. And, uh, he stopped real quick. And, you know, uh, that's when I thought I had a real quick, uh, shooting, you know, pocket that I made. And, you know, I, that's when I shot okay. and I, I still didn't know it was the buck. Right, gotcha. All right, so you you get you see you're you're you you draw back. You you know that this buck's coming. You you draw back. You're ready to roll. He steps out. Mm-hmm. He pauses. You let it fly somewhere between twenty five and twenty eight yards. And- yeah, and and the one thing about it too, you know, when I when I did draw back, you know, you know, I had to hold for probably you know it was probably thirty seconds. I had to hold because he didn't. I didn't have a good shot at his behind his front, his uh, his right shoulder. Uh, I didn't have a good shot at that point um, because it was behind a 
Yeah, he was behind some good brush, and I, ha- I really had to hold until he got in that ring. So, I mean, that's one thing, too. When you, uh, you know, you got a bow, you know, to, you know, practice with it to see how long you can hold that, that shot. And um, then he finally, you know, took a step into that lane, and that's when I had a, a shot. I got a good shot at him. Gotcha. All right. So you shoot. What happens? <clears throat> at that point, you know, he took off. And, I mean, he, I mean, he was crashing. And, and at that point, I knew it was, I mean, a tremendous buck. Um, but the, you know, the I, the character of the buck that I, you know, that's him, I, on the picture and the one I've been hunting, I didn't see it cause it was, he wasn't, you know, he never really gave me a good visible, uh, of his rack, you know, cause I was just focused. I knew it was a buck. I knew it was a buck I needed to take. Uh, and you know, I just kind of focused on where the shot placement was going to be cause I didn't want to wound it. Yep. But so when, after I shot, he took off and I mean, he was in thick stuff and, I just saw him go, uh, and uh, that was it. You know, I just saw him run through thick stuff. I just saw, his, you know, his tail gun, and and that was it. That's pretty much all I saw. That's all you got. And okay. you know, my visi- my visibility's you know maybe forty five yards. Gotcha. Where he went. Okay. All right. So then, so you you you're pretty confident you hit the buck, and you, yeah, you just and you have a direction. Yeah, I, That's all you got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew. See, I was honestly really worried because I knew I knew I, I it was a good sh- it was a good shot, but it might have been a little low. Okay. Um, I thought honestly it was a little low, so I was a little worried at that moment uh, that you know maybe the shot was a little bit too low. Okay. All right. And what'd you do next? At that point, you know, uh, you know, I I tried to calm down. I'm shaking. You know, anytime I shoot a deer, doe, buck, doesn't matter, and you know, especially a buck. I mean, I'm shaking good. The first thing I did is I called a couple of buddies and, you know, I told them, you know, what just happened and it was a good buck. Uh, and, uh, and I told them about how, you know, how it all went down. And then, uh, I sat there for 30 minutes and then, uh, tried to calm myself down so I could climb down without falling. Um, and then after I climbed down, you know, after the 30 minutes, um, I walked the opposite direction of where he was and I went back to my house. Okay. Um, all right. That that that's what happened at that moment. Interesting. All right. Now, why why go back to the house? Why not start trailing? <laughs> that honestly, uh, um, from my experience, yeah, I like to wait. Even even if you think you have a good shot, uh, deer are tough animals. Um, and uh, my first year of archery hunting, um, well, the first time I ever shot a, a deer I, uh, with a bow, I was thirteen, and. Uh, I shot when I shot him. Um, I only waited 30, 30 minutes, and it was just a doe. And I ended up jumping that deer, and I it was a good shot, but I didn't give him enough time. I only gave it thirty minutes, so that's why I went back to the house, uh, calm down, relax, you know, get something to eat, you know, and just try to calm down and 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 give that deer time to you know pass if it wasn't a, a perfect shot. Okay. And how much time did you let pass before you decided it was time to go back? I let two hours go. I gave that buck two two solid hours before I even went down and checked, you know, the error or anything. I gave okay. it two hours. Two hours. You, you've got you've got no visual on any of the the scene. You just so you just walk away, calm down, get your get your collect yourself, and then yeah, exactly. Then put on your like I, I investigation. I knew it. Stuff. I yeah yeah yeah. I knew I, I knew I hit him because you know as soon as I you know and it was a decent shot because I saw some blood you know when I when I shot him sure but you know even with that you need like I had to go home calm down uh, give it you know about a couple hours before you even think about you know uh, I thought about going after you know seeing where the arrow was what the blood looked like gotcha all right 
So you get back to the scene. What what does it look like? <clears throat> well, the, actually, it's the first thing I did, I waited for a couple of my buddies to get down there because I, I like to me, you know, it's it's an amazing feeling when somebody gets a deer, and especially a buck with a bow. Uh, uh, I mean, we we all do it, and we all cherish it. It's a great moment moment that everybody wants to share, you know, with your with your best friend. So I waited until a couple of my buddies got there, and we got down to the scene where I shot them, and uh, it was like you know twenty eight yards, and um, there, uh, you know, where he I shot him, there was some blood, uh, and then the arrow was uh, about four yards up from where I shot him, um, and as soon as I saw that arrow, I I knew he I knew it was a dead buck. Um, because I mean the arrow was covered in blood. It was a clean pass through, and I mean it was, it was good blood. It, I mean it was very very good. And uh, when you see an arrow that's clean pass through and in good blood, usually at that moment you know you, you've got, you've got a deer. So I, I at that moment I was pretty ecstatic. That's awesome. All right. So what'd you do next? So at that moment I'm like you know I'm shaking. I'm like let's go. Let's get on the track. So we got on the track, um, because you know we gave it two hours. Um, and honestly, probably at that point, you know, the arrow and stuff, probably it was probably more like, you know, two hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 30 minutes. Sure. Um, so we got on the track and, uh, you know, where he went in the brush, you know, you could just see, you know, uh, you know, the blood, it was spraying good. And, you know, you could, the thing that was crazy about his track was the damage he was doing with trees, with his horns. I mean, he was just gou- gouging because it was thick brush and a little sapling. He was just gouging. Um, um, the saplings with his horns. So, I mean, you could just see all that. And, um, so we were amazed by that, you know, in the blood. And at this point, you know, I, I, I knew it was a good buck. I still didn't know it was deep buck. Uh, so we're tracking the blood and then, I mean, it was really, really good blood. And, uh, we got probably, you know, 50 yards away. And my visibility from the stand was probably 45. We got about 50 yards away. And I looked up on the other side of the knoll. And I, I saw a, a butt, you know, a deer, a dead deer butt. Yep. And at that point, at that point, I'm like, there he is, you know. Uh, we didn't see his rack yet because we were like below. He was on like top of a hill, but laying the other way. And we were like down at the hole so we could just see his butt. Gotcha. Yep. So we walk up on the hill. And at that point, I mean, it was just, it's, it's, I can't even describe the emotions. It, it was just an experience of a lifetime to realize, you know, um, that you, you get the buck, the, the buck of a lifetime. Uh, I mean, it was just mass chaos pretty much at that point. Uh, and it was uh, an un- unbelievable feeling that I'll never have again in my life, uh, wow. knowing that it was him. Wow. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it, it honestly was. It honestly was. And, you know, I mean, just the raw emotion, you know, and the best thing, you know, I had, you know, my best friends there to experience it with me right. uh, and, and family. And, and with them there, you know, it, that's something I'll never, ever forget. And, I mean, it was just, uh, ama- and it was it was an amazing moment. I mean, people probably, you know, people wait a whole lifetime to shoot a buck of that caliber, caliber and not even see a buck like that out in the woods. And uh, just to experience that, not even knowing it was actually him, uh, it was just mass chaos and uh, an amazing, an amazing moment. Uh, that I'll, I'll cherish the rest of my life. That's fantastic. Congratulations, Steve. That's just amazing. What a great story and, and what a, an amazing buck. And to, to, and I know the emotions that you're describing is just, it's uncanny. Like there's nothing like it really. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if even having your firstborn is the same feeling. I think it's similar, but I don't think it's the same. And I'm not saying one's yeah, better I, than the other. It's just a different feeling. Yeah. I mean, it. That, uh, yeah, it's just something, you know, that, 
you know, I wish we were filming, you know, at that point that we had a, a camera on it, you know, just so, you know, I can, I can relive it, but just to watch it again, you know, right. that, right. that it was just unbelievable. Um, that moment, uh, right. in my life, uh, right. unbelievable. And what did it score when it was all said and done? Uh, it scored one ninety one and three eighths. One ninety one three eighths, and did you did you have it weighed by any chance? Um, yeah, uh, we we did a, a kind of a a weight on it, and it was two forty. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's kind of the scale was kind of it wasn't perfect, so uh, it was probably around two forty to the two thirty range, somewhere in there. Yeah. Gotcha. Very, very good. All right, let's let's transition over to the the ten rapid fire questions. The story is just mind blowing, and it's such a great story. And I love love hearing every bit about how you got to that point. Just amazing. Um, all right, so I've got ten rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, what's your number one hunting tip of all time? Do your homework. Do your homework. You, you do your research to see what these deer you, the deer you're hunting are doing. The, you, you've got to really get on that. Okay. All right. Love that. Love that tip. What's that one thing that you need to have with you in the woods and it drives you crazy if you don't have it with you when you're you're in your stand? What's that one thing you got to have with you to feel like you're going to have a successful hunt other than your weapon? That's me. That's that's the knife my dad gave me. Um, his grandpa, uh, my grandpa used it. Uh, so his dad gave it to him and then he gave it to me. So to me, I, I got to have that knife. That's my lucky knife. Gotcha. What's your biggest pet peeve in life? Oh, to me, uh, my biggest pet peeve, you know, because I'm a deer hunter, I, when it comes to everything, you know, when you get a deer or, or anything, doe, buck, anything, you know, that's that's a trophy no matter what. Even if, I, I can't stand when people go, you know, oh, I, you know, shot this deer, but, you know, it's only a four point. No, it's a trophy. Uh, so cherish every every moment, everything you, that you happen to do in your life, no matter, you know, what, what small thing it is, just cherish everything. Gotcha. Very nice. How old are you today, Steve? Uh, I'm 24. 24. What would you tell the 14-year-old Stephen Paff, knowing what you know today about life? <laughs> oh, gosh. Be patient. Um, uh, trust in God, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, work hard for everything that you want to accomplish in life. Uh, that's, you know, um, that's what I tell tell myself at 14. All right. Very good. All right. You're at a hunting convention somewhere in the country. You meet a stranger in a hotel lobby and they ask you what you do for a living. What do you tell them? Um, you know, I, you know, the first thing I, I tell them is, you know, my uh, profession. Um, you know, I, I work for Penn state, uh, and, uh, and I archery on, I'm an archery hunter. Uh, that's what I do. Gotcha. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, I think I had a, a glazed donut. Uh, it was a uh, oh, one of those ones from uh, Sheets. Uh, we have Sheets in PA. Uh, well, I can't remember the name, but it was a glazed donut. Glazed donut. All right, very good. You can have your own billboard on the side of a highway. It's a blank canvas. What would you put on it? Um, probably. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's a tough question. Probably a, a trusting God sign. You know, I'm I'm pretty religious, so probably something like that. Sure. Absolutely. That's a good one. All right. If I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? Um, probably Donald Trump because he just won the election. Kind of defeated all odds, I'd say. Yeah. And, you know, and with every everything with the news coverage, you know, he wasn't going to win and everything. So to me, you know, that's successful, you know, and that's yeah. when current you, right now. When you, when you beat, go against what everybody is telling you to be true and, and you, you win, that's success right there. I, I agree with that. Yep. Right. Exactly. 
What's a day in your life look like, a typical day? Uh, a typical day for me, you know, I wake up, uh, I go check uh, some of the animals uh, I have, um, like right now, uh, I check my pigs because they're going to be fair and have piglets, and then uh, get dressed, uh, go to work, uh, and then um, uh, after work, uh, come home, do chores, um, and then if I don't have time to hunt, uh, I go spend it uh, uh, with my, I got a beautiful girlfriend, I usually uh, uh, spend time with her as much as possible. Gotcha. Very cool. And finally, what's a deer hunting day in your life look like? Um, a deer hunting day for me is is waking up early, you know, getting breakfast and uh, getting ready to enjoy, you know, uh, nature, uh, what God created. And, um, you know, I wake up after I eat breakfast, get dressed, get the stand, enjoy it, uh, you know, stay out is, you know, until 10, depending on what time of the year it is, 11, if not all day. Um, and then if not, you come back, eat lunch, uh, if you're not staying out all day and then go back out in the evening and, and hope you have a successful hunt and a safe hunt. And, and then that night talking to all your buddies about, you know, what you saw, what they saw and, and how uh, great it was to be hunting and not at work. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, that's the 10 rapid fire questions. You did quite well. I have to say, uh, Steve, this has been fantastic, man. I've, it's been a true honor and a pleasure to listen to you tell your dear story and, give us all those little details that matter and all those things that you believed in on, on what was important to you to get to this, this buck and actually pinpoint it and actually take it. That's unbelievable. And you did it successfully. And I appreciate you telling the story to me and I'm sure everybody that's listening to this appreciates it as well. Yeah, I I appreciate the opportunity. I've enjoyed talking to you and you know, uh, if, uh, uh, you know, a buck like that, you know, he, he deserves all the respect, you know, uh, he, he's the one who got that big and I was the one who was just lucky enough to get him. And, you know, hopefully everybody can, uh, go out and get a, a buck of their dreams. And, 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 uh, I have appreciated this opportunity. It's been an honor uh, talking to you and I, uh, I've really appreciated this. Oh, thanks to Stephen Path for joining us on the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Learned a lot. Um, guy's very smart and sharp hunter, and uh, glad, glad we could put that all together and deliver it back to you so you can listen to it and add that kind of stuff to your arsenal as well. Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines Tip of the Week this week? Yeah, we do, Jay, and it's... Uh... The Chubby Tines Tip of the Week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morsesportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. Getting into a little bit about the, the shed hunting, you know, and a lot of people think that they need to wait for a, a very long period of time. If you're, if you're already tagged out and you got uh, you got some time, go, go shed hunting. Get out there right now and, and do some walking. And You may just stumble into that early dropper. And, you know, there's a lot of deer early this year. And they're uh, they're dropping their antlers, but focus on the food source. If you got a, a crop field in your area, or go check it out and get into the bedding areas a little bit this time of year. You're not going to mess a whole lot up unless you're here in Ohio. You know we got muzzleloader season today and tomorrow, but uh, get out there and, and definitely be looking for some sheds right now and, and take your time and just go through slow and you'll you'll educate yourself more about what the deer movement is and where their bedding areas are and and really get in there and dig around and uh, find them sheds 
Very, very cool. Well, thanks to Morris's Sporting Goods for sponsoring the Chubby Tines Tip of the Week. Dusty, it's uh, it's been a great hour or so, a little bit more than an hour. It's time to go. Uh, where can we find you when you're not hanging out in the studio with me? Shoot me an email, dusty at com. You can look me up on Facebook, Chubby Tines Outdoors, or hit me up on Instagram, at Chasing Antler. Jay, where can we reach you when you're not on the mic? Best place to uh, touch base is Jay at BigBuckRegistry.com. You can always find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You can listen to our show on Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Blueberry. And all you have to do is if you Google us, you'll find us everywhere. Well, Dusty, it's been another fantastic show. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. See you next week. Can't wait. 